1: is Beth White, your co-host this morning with Jen Delvaux. Hi, Jen. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. So um, today we're going to, um, with great sadness, we're going to be saying goodbye to our co-host, Jen Delvaux. Her um, last day with us is on Friday, and um, it's been a great Gosh, what five years? Yeah, Um, of being on on the way um, (laughs) and working in the office for evangelization of the Archdiocese of Chicago. So, um, but as part of that, really wanting to think about a retrospect about first fruits. So we started this journey together. Um, to bring about renewal in the Archdiocese of Chicago through the lens of evangelization um, five years ago in August. Mm-hmm. And um, since that time, Jen has been working diligently in a number of parishes. So I thought today maybe we could have a conversation about some of the on the ground practical components of the work that Jen's been doing. And then also um, bring into the conversation Brian Romer Nemiak, who is the lifelong formation coordinator for Vicariate 2. Um the Archdiocese of Chicago is split into six different vicariates. They're geographic and each of them has a an auxiliary bishop who oversees that vicariate. And vicariate 2 is I'll ask Brian to give us the geography. So welcome Brian to the conversation. Good morning.
2: Good morning, Beth. How are you?
1: I'm I'm well. So, um Brian, tell us the geography of Vicariate Two, if if for our listeners to think about where Vicariate Two would be.
2: Sure. Uh, So Vicariate Two starts at the cathedral right there on uh, on Chicago and uh, goes all the way up to the Lake County border, and then goes west to the airport. So, and you can sort of use the highway as the dividing line as as ninety goes up. Uh, and then and then veers west towards the airport. So that's there are about Perfect. 42 parishes in the vicariate.
1: Great. 42 since the um, Renew My Church uh, process of uh, unifications. Great. Yes. Um, and so we're finished with that, right? In vicariate two, the unifications?
2: We are. We're all the done.
1: Decisions and so. discernments have all been um, brought forth, and now parishes are at different stages in the in the process, right? So um, I just wanted to talk with you and Jen a little bit today um, about um, what it's been like, um, what are some of the first fruits you're seeing in some of the communities. Um, Jen started working um, with Divine Mercy, Mm -hmm. right, which is unification of what parishes? Um,
3: Oh, boy. Uh, Sacred Heart and... St. Philip. Thank you.
1: See, I think that's good, though. (laughs) That's really good because
3: I mean, she only thinks about it as divine mercy. Now. Yeah, and honestly, they were the very first parish. And mm-hmm. what's really exciting, too, is that they've progressed through so much that they are very much now sitting more in Brian's hands. And he's supporting them because of where they're at in the process, too. So I've uh, been a little more hands off with them in the last year or two. So when
1: you look at um, that parish in particular, Divine Mercy, Brian, what are some of the first fruits you're seeing there? From an evangelization oh. perspective.
4: Yeah, I,
2: I think at Divine Mercy, well, they're going through a little bit of a transition now. They are, they're hiring a new evangelization director, but I think one of the fruits is that even with uh, even without a director of evangelization, they are still prioritizing evangelization in their ministry. Uh, and I, I don't think that's something we certainly would have seen five years ago. Uh, and so it's it's really great to see that that culture has really started to infuse itself throughout the leadership of the parish.
1: And so just as a disclaimer or transparency, I don't know what the word is, but we hired um, (laughs) Sue – uh, Lahaki f- as from uh, Divine Mercy, so she's now working for the office for evangelization. So we kind of poached her from um, Divine Mercy. So, <laughs> um, so could you uh, concretely tell us what? So obviously they they started with Alpha. They they put in place an evangelization lead to so a team. They're going to be replacing um, the evangelization lead. They um, they put in place their what we call the charismatic entry point, which is. Alpha, um, they've had multiple seasons of that. Tell us a little bit more about what they've been doing in the next steps.
2: Uh, in the next steps, they're they're trying to respond to where their parishioners are coming out of that sort of soft entry point experience, and so they've uh, you know they've been really they've been really strong at not trying to create more programs and just sort of feed people into more programs, but trying to to just Listen to where people are at. Listen to where the Holy Spirit is working, and then and then sort of point them in the right directions. Whether that's taking on a course at the Faith Hub, or allowing a group of women to start a rosary experience uh, an adoration experience, you know whatever that may be, but, but giving them the space and the support and walking with them uh, as they explore, you know where is where is the Holy Spirit leading them in this crazy faith journey of theirs? So I think I think they've been really good at at, at that, uh, and not trying to over uh, program. Uh, this journey for people.
1: And how is that a culture shift?
2: Oh well, 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 we're really good at programs, right? In the arch, right? So, or in the Catholic Church in general, right? And and it's sort of like a math puzzle, right? If you if you take Alpha plus Bishop Barron plus Evangelical Catholic, you know that equals a, a missionary disciple, and then, and then they can just you know then we're then we're done, and so, so life is good. He's being um, sarcastic. Way, He's right? being
1: sarcastic. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm being sarcastic.
2: Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You people. Yeah. Anyway. Um. But yes, I'm, that's not how it works. Um. And so. Uh, you know what does work is 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 the Holy Spirit transforming hearts and and what we as a community do is walk with people in that journey. and so how do we create a community, create a culture that um, walks with individuals and, and groups on that journey of faith? And so um, I think divine mercy is, is figuring out what that culture looks like.
1: And Jen, you were with them since day one. Um, and so from your perspective, how what have you seen change in these five
3: years? One of the big things, and I think it's linked to what Brian was saying, was that it's coming from people, but also what people are asking for shifts, Mm -hmm. you know, that the people were asking for programs previously, you know, what's the latest thing from Word on Fire? What's the latest Bible study? You know, kind of the prepackaged, here's a six-week thing and we're done, versus what started to develop was, for instance, coming out of, they particularly targeted a daytime alpha to be able to reach folks that were dropping off kids and then at school and then able to join. And out of that grew a group of women who just deeply enjoyed and found meaning in that community that was building. And so instead of necessarily saying, we want this big, complicated program, they actually started doing almost the exact same thing as our fellowship groups. And so, you know, we'll be trying to connect uh, one or two of those women with our training in the fall for that. But this idea of it's not necessarily about the content, but how you're gathering. And the idea was that they would gather, they would have some time in prayer, but it would also be very strong in um, community and conversation and sharing, in their case, kind of like a brunch thing after um, drop off. And then, you know, this just short little content, but that they could talk about, why walking through life together and being younger moms of faith and all those complexities. And so they the dis- understanding of what they were seeking started to shift mm-hmm. and that the, there were different questions being asked, mm-hmm. I think, as part of it, too. and even as looking at some of the bigger picture things like hospitality and so forth that it's not what is the best welcome packet but how are we helping people to do things differently and the the ushers and so forth asking those questions themselves versus what's the packet what's the checklist kind of question so mm-hmm. that for me and and particularly in that community because there's so many people who come out of the business world who come out of you know country club life and so forth that they're very much looking for kind of those packages of things but they were so much more creative and relational in the questions
1: and that's a culture shift Mm -hmm. that we um we um are starting to see in some of our communities and then um on the heels of Divine Mercy, you guys, um, you started Jen in particular started working with the Lincoln Park parishes. So I recall going into those <laughs> communities with you, mm-hmm. and the Renew My Church um, decision discernment process um, left um, folks less than happy with each mm-hmm. other. Um, there's we're not going to go into the complications of why, but um, but that. They just, it was not, um, it was not the best process Mm -hmm. for them. And so it's really interesting to me to see where they are today because they were not wanting to work together Mm -hmm. when we went into each of those meetings. I think you and I were kind of surprised by that. Um, And I recently was at an event and all of them were together, the evangelization leads, and they were like teasing each other and joking. And so tell us a little bit about what's been going on in that community.
3: You know, the, those parishes are all within, you know, stone's throw of one another. I always joke that you could park at, you know, St. Joseph and on, on a hot August day, walk to all of them without breaking a sweat in 30 minutes, but that ultimately they're incredibly distinct personalities at each one. You know, that while the demographics overall might be very, very similar in some regards, uh, they attract different spiritualities. You've got two different religious orders involved and so what i think there was perhaps even a, an unspoken fear that we were going to try to homogenize everything yes and that over time they could see how they could really lean into those strengths of their own individual charisma their own staff and and volunteer base but that also they could lean on one another to where those gaps were and i think that became abundantly clear when they all hit the pandemic. Because we had, you know, one lead that was very technologically, you know, savvy and could handle all of how to do, you know, a Zoom alpha and how to do X, Y, and Z online. But that, was another person could lift up kind of how to do the pastoral response to the grief and the suffering that was going on. And another person had a lot of connection with the social structure that was needed. So they could all pull on their respective strengths. And, you know, in that process, I think, started to deepen the relationship beyond just kind of the polite We're working together because, you know, we need to combine for our CIA or some of the practicalities and that that relationship built up between those leads. And then that was seen, you know, not necessarily intentionally modeled, but that was definitely seen by parishioners and leadership underneath them. Do you have any comments about that, Brian?
1: No, <laughs> I know. I'm You're just listening. I'm yeah. I'm so just listening. <laughs> I was at a um, there was an Alpha fundraiser um, a few weeks ago, and it was hosted by Teresa of Avila. So the
3: parishes are Teresa of Avila, Saint, Saint Joseph, Joseph Ad, I see Saint Joe's, and um, Saint Vincent de Paul, and Saint Michael's. Right. And
1: um, these communities are very distinct because a mm-hmm. um, couple have a schools. Um, some are very family focused, uh, like young families. Some are a lot of young adults, like it's just, or, um, or, um, uh, boomers who are, you know, have moved into the city mm-hmm. or whatever. So they're just a really different sort of distinct communities. Um, and what I saw in that, Teresa of Avila was hosting this, is that they had different people from the different parishes get up and talk about Alpha. And they were so different in their stories, too. Like the, the person was different, but they all felt like they were a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's what I could feel is that there seemed to be that they were all part of a movement. They were living it out distinctively. Um, but together. Can you speak to that, Brian? Is that a sense of what you've seen there in the Lincoln Park parishes?
2: Yeah. And, and, I, and I think the, and I think what I've noticed particularly among the staffs is that it's, it's normalized for them a new way of being church because they're all trying to figure it out together. And so, you know, you have, you have, and, and they may not always agree with each other. Right. And that's okay. But, but they're all coming at it in the same you know, for, you know, from you know, asking the same questions and trying to figure out, trying to figure out what does, what does a community that actually invites, accompanies, forms, and sends missionary disciples, what does that look like, in, and how do we, how how do we make it a reality, and and it's just it's really amazing to see the energy and sometimes maybe even a little competitiveness trying to, uh, you know, to to try to to try to move. And bear fruit uh, in this in Lincoln Park area. So yeah, I, I totally agree.
1: One of the culture changes that I see in all of that is working with communities. Um, they the competition piece was a huge mm-hmm. part of this archdiocese uh, parish versus parish, and so they were. I mean, some of the comments mm-hmm. that early on were yeah. like competitive um, with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that completely goes away, but what we are seeing is this really. Different sort of thinking process. So when we get back from our break, we'll continue this conversation just to think about the ways in which the culture is changing in these first fruit communities.
5: Can a dead man
4: come back to life?
5: Catholic Charities is establishing a forum for dialogue and debate about complex issues in our world involving social values, faith, social justice, and the mission of charity. We are convening professionals who influence corporate, philanthropic, and government decision making to foster greater awareness about the needs of our region and the power of faith in serving. Join us for the first gathering of the St. Martin de Porres Society on Wednesday, June 22nd at the Newberry Library, 60 West Walton Street in Chicago. St. Martin de Porres was a Peruvian lay brother of the Dominican order who is noted for his work on behalf of the poor. At this inaugural event, Bishop Robert Lombardo and Sally Blount, Catholic Charities President and Chief Executive Officer, will lead a discussion on poverty and the Catholic response. For more information on attending this special event, call 312-948-6797 or email us at partners at catholiccharities.net. This is your 44 for me teaching. When I started here, There were teachers here that had taught me when I was a student. Now I'm the old person. (laughs) Right now, I teach junior high math. I love when kids find what I'm teaching to be fun and they get it. I see that light bulb go off and it's a thrill. People are always amazed, what, what? You're here for 44 years? It's hard for me to believe, frankly. (laughs) I love what I do. Every summer I think, oh, I miss the classroom. Even on the weekends, I think I can't wait to get back on Monday and teach those quadratic equations.
0: <laughs> Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artschicago.org schooljobs. Get ready for a fabulous day of golf for a great cause as Catholic Charities 2022 Golf Invitational tees off at the beautiful Olympia Fields Country Club on Monday, June 27th. Gather your friends, family members, and work colleagues for a day that is sure to be a highlight of your summer. Enjoyable contests and surprises are planned throughout the day to make this one extraordinary golf outing. Proceeds from this event will benefit Catholic charities, programs, and services in Cook County. Fantastic sponsorships are still available for an invitational that is one of the most popular summer golf events in Chicago don't miss the 2022 Catholic Charities Golf Invitational on June 27. For more information, go to catholiccharities.net or call 847-226-5697. That's 847-226-5697.
1: Welcome back to On the Way. This is Beth White, your co-host this morning with Jen Delvo. Hello, hello, Jen. <laughs> so we are having a conversation about first fruits of evangelization. The first, um, we've been working with some parishes for four plus years, and really, where are we in that those early that early journey? Where are we, the first fruits? Um, when we talk about renewal. Um, It might be hard for people to understand, but it's going to take 10 to 12 years for community really to see this culture Mm -hmm. change. But if we can celebrate those early fruits, it can actually keep us going, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that right away from day one we start talking about with evangelization teams is that your culture, part of what you can do to identify what your actual culture is, what does the parish celebrate? And so I think as we see parishes also trying to embrace and shift the things that they celebrate, that is also a really good indicator of their movement in this process. So, when we
1: started
3: out this entire Renew My Church
1: process, and we might have s- said this before uh, to our listeners, but it's worth repeating, is that 40% of the parishes in this diocese, 40% of the parishes had no one on staff uh, full time other than the pastor focused on ministry. So, and if they did have someone, um, it was usually a DRE mm-hmm. or um, a, um, a a um, coordinator of religious education or a director of religious education. And so adult formation in this diocese is we do an inventory when we go into mm-hmm. communities and we say, hey, what kind of um, things do you do for adults spiritually, formation-wise, intellectually? Um, just where are you in terms of that? And as Brian alluded to, there might be some programs that are run – around advent or lent um but there are not a lot of parishes in this diocese that um really spend a lot of energy thinking about their adults other than maybe rcia but Mm -hmm. then we also discover a lot of communities don't even have an rcia program so um process rcia process um so when we look at lincoln park we were just talking about the fact that um you can see the sense of unity, but what's also intriguing to me is when you were just saying about, um, the fact that they figure out a divine mercy, what a person needs, and then they help connect them to that sort of next step. Are we seeing that in uh, Lincoln park as well, Brian?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe even a little bit more intentionally at some of the parishes. So, uh, at St. Josephette, they've started a, a relationship guide ministry.
4: Oh, Whereas
2: each as each um sort of cohort of alpha uh finishes up, there is a there is a relationship guide that um engages one-on-one with individuals. Uh each each of each individual uh alpha guest gets a relationship guide and and they sort of meet, you know, not too frequently, like quarterly or whatever, but again, the same idea. Like you know how was that experience? You know where do you think you know God is calling you next? Like what 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 interests you? And you know sort of make, being that connector to the you know a lot of the same things we talk about with companions and uh, and fellowship groups, right? Like how, what are the next steps? How do we how do we help people continue that journey of faith? Um, and so so yeah, we're starting to see that as well. Uh, and then of course at uh, in, uh, at ICSJ and in uh, um, at Saint Teresa's, there's the, the fellowship groups that have that have been kicked off. This spring as well.
3: I know St. Teresa's, um, Merck, there, the lead who I know we've had on the show, he's been doing a really good job too of kind of, he loves those one on one conversations. So while he may not have that separate ministry, he really enjoys taking that on. And I think it's so different. And this is what we hear from um, some of those companions is that this idea of really walking with people and helping to connect them is, on the one hand, so obvious, but yet so new and is something that really has the potential to transform everything. And the excitement that that sort of, whether you're receiving the accompaniment or you're giving that accompaniment, it's really fascinating to see how excited people are getting about that. And these aren't people like us who have degrees in this. These are just average, everyday parishioners, you know, going about that little corner of the parish that they know and really investing in one another. And that's
1: what's, um, pretty exciting about it yeah there are two parishes that are right now use have um trained companions who are piloting um their fellowship groups and some of the early feedback is just the way in which the parishioners are receiving it um that they have never really part of what we realized that one of the the sweet spots of alpha Is that so many of our adults don't have a space in their life where they just can talk about faith? Mm -hmm. They can't, they might talk about being Catholic, but they don't talk about, um, you know where is God leading me? What? What? Where do I feel God nudging me? Um, where did I see God in that moment? Where? Uh, where was? How was I Christ to someone or not Christ to someone? And so Alpha actually is that tool that helps people almost build that muscle, and so they have this muscle so that they can start doing this, and then they leave that, and then where do they do? Mm-hmm. And so I think these parishes are starting to respond to that. Like, no, we're not all called to go into the next program, but like. I really want to understand scripture, or I really want to go deeper into church history, or I really want to understand how to serve people in a distinct way. Um, is that what you're seeing, Brian, is a sense of responding to the individual versus the, now we're going to do this next thing.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you, we, our parish is not the resources to, you know, to respond to every next thing. And so the, what we can do though is, is, come close to each other along this journey and, and, and help point people in, you know, maybe in the, in the right direction and then the right next step and, and sort of be with them as they explore that. So, yeah, I, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a great, it's a great awakening to the idea that one size does not fit all. And just because we're a big parish, it does not mean that everything we do has to be big. In fact, everything we do can't be big or else it's not a community. It's just events and people coming and going.
1: Right. Well, and what's beautiful about Lincoln Park, I think, is that you have five different communities, right? Mm -hmm. So they have different offerings, right? So if I'm in a parish and I recognize that Brian has this deep love for um, art, I could say, hey, they're going to be doing this spirituality and art series over at whatever parish— Brian, would you think about that? Like I'd love to connect you to someone in that community so that you could do that without jealousy that Brian is somehow now gonna join that parish. I think that's always the fear, right? So how do we help people not have that fear, Brian?
2: Yeah, I yeah, I think there's there are those parochial walls that are that are still there. Um But I yeah, I, I think and 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 parish some parishes have that same fear about alpha right oh if we if if we run alpha it's an evangelical christian program so then then if they like it they're going to be evangelical christian but but yet they they've fallen in love with christ in the context of this unique community that they've experienced it in right and so yes. they they're not they're not going to be they're they they're going to find if if done well this accompaniment is going to create for them a home, a spiritual home, and you're not going to leave home just because they're, they're, you know, uh, just, just because, um, you know, Chipotle is down the street and I love Chipotle. doesn't mean I'm going to make my home at Chipotle, right? I will gladly go and eat it five times a week if my wife allows me to, but at the end of the day, I'm going to come back here because this is my home. This is where, um, this is where I have my family and where I'm in relationship and where I am in love with the people uh, and the God that, that inspires each of us. So same, I think with parishes.
1: Well, and the thing is, is that if you encourage folks, then, you know, Brian could take a couple people with him to go off to that experience, and they can experience it together and then come back and share what that experience was like with maybe their small group, their fellowship group, or whatever this thing is that they have, so that they have touch points in the community, community of communities, right? So it's a bit messy, because it's not um, a curriculum-based, and how is that a shift for folks, Brian? this, this sense that it's not curriculum, like next steps.
2: Right. Well, one, it's a huge shift, right? Because it's, it's so contrary to the one thing we thought we've done really well, right. Which is religious education. We can teach the whole catechism. We can, you know, we have spiral curriculums and we have all these things that, that really, you know, comprehensively convey the tradition of our church to people. But, um, But I think what we've discovered in this whole process is that there's no amount of information that can convert someone's heart. There's only a person that can do that, the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have to say, looking at the people who are coming to these alphas in Lincoln Park, you know, there are a lot of young adults and a lot of those young adults are resonating with this idea that, oh, they're not trying to jam information down my throat. Oh, they actually want to walk with me as I explore what faith means to me. Oh, I've never thought about having a relationship with a guy who rose from the dead 2000 years ago, like what would, what could that possibly be like? Yeah. Uh, and so I, the, the messiness or the unscripted the unscriptedness of it is actually really appealing because I, I think people are starting to come and find that there is no agenda. There is yeah. no, you have to believe X, Y, and Z for you to belong to the club. Um, we're, we really just want to walk with you for as long as you want to walk this journey.
1: And that is that's just, there's such freedom in that, I think, um, that, that, Jen, t- tell our listeners a little bit about the difference between fitting in and belonging. We talk about this, and I'm, I'm kind of blown away by um, the level at which this is something people haven't actually thought about.
3: This is one of my favorite concepts to talk about with the parishes because when you think about fitting in, you know, there's a really great analogy to those torturous some years that were middle school and high school, you know, that you try to fit in and hit that sweet spot of kind of blending in to whatever group you're trying to be a part of. So you change in order to be accepted by the wider group. That's fitting in. Belonging, however, is you bring your whole self and, you know, all your gifts and your quirks, and instead of Of adjusting yourself to the parish community, the parish welcomes you in your whole self and the whole community, you and the parish, actually change and adapt and grow together, that it's a transformative experience for everyone who's involved and that you become part of the family, you know, and and the community becomes greater because you're part of it instead of you trying to round out your edges to be the square peg fitting in a round hole.
1: And that sense of belonging, that sense of just because you're a child of God that you belong,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, is a radical shift for a lot of places and a lot of people because we've been kind of told you got to fit in, you got to do all these different things, check all these boxes in order to be a good Catholic. And we're not saying that, you know, that we don't. The whole point of belonging is that you're received for who you are in your core, not your behaviors, not what you've done or what you do, but, like, who you are, and then you grow with that community, and you grow in that relationship with mm-hmm. Christ so that you become the best version of yourself that God, that God knows that you can be, right? It isn't that I have to do all these things correct before they'll accept me, and that's what I heard you talking about, Brian. I heard you saying that you're seeing that these young adults come, and they're like, Oh wow! Wait, I don't have to believe all these things. I don't have to do all these things before I can actually be a part of this community.
2: Is -hmm. that something that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And and as actually as you're talking about, I was thinking about how just how very different this is, right? We spent the last six centuries as a church, sort of defining ourselves by how we are different from our other brothers and sisters and other Christian denominations, right? And so it's at the very heart of, of. of how we act as churches. Oh, we are Catholic because this is what we believe, and if you believe all of this, then then you know you are you are Catholic like us. And so, um, you know, so we just conditioned ourselves for so long to think that way. But yes, the 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 joy uh, that I'm seeing with with some of these young adults, and and often many of them are not regular church goers or wouldn't even consider themselves Catholic. Um, are yeah, I think are just shocked to find. The space to wrestle with these issues, wrestle with their faith in this institution that, they, that they've always seen as very rule and sort of uh, don't ask any questions. Yeah. yeah, just do and yeah, you'll be you'll be great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, we um, we are we ready for another break. Excellent. So we, uh, I'm sorry, I was looking over at the producer. Um, we're just chatting along. So uh, we'll be back to continue our conversation after the break.
4: Can a dead man come back to life? Can a dead man come back to life?
0: At Catholic Charities, we want to remind you that we are here for anyone who is a victim of domestic violence or anyone who has a concern about someone they think may be a victim. Domestic violence affects millions of people each year, both women and men, of every race,
2: religion, culture, and economic status. It includes physical, psychological, and emotional abuse, inflicted in both subtle and overt ways. The
0: impact on children can be devastating. If you or someone you know are victims of domestic violence and you are looking for a place for healing and recovery, call us at
2: 773-935-3434 in Cook County and 224-430-4977 in Lake County. A safer, happier tomorrow can begin today.
0: We've been together in spirit. And now when you are ready, our doors are open wide. Nuestras puertas están abiertas de par en par. Nashe drzwi
5: są otwarte. And we're here to welcome you back to Catholic Mass.
1: Welcome back to On the Way. I'm Beth White with Jen Delvaux, my co-host. Hello. For our last show together, um, we asked Brian to stay on with us for um, another segment, and then um, then we'll have our final segment with Jen, just chatting. So, Brian, um, when I was at the um, when I was at that fundraiser, you you talked about young adults, but what was the interesting story to me? Um, there was a story about a. a A young woman who shared her story um, that she was a school teacher and during the pandemic she was isolated at home alone completely she didn't have any family and you know when we were all locked down and so she had no uh, she grew up Catholic but she had never really had a Catholic community and so she shared about how a friend encouraged her to go online to mass at St. Teresa of Avila they invited her to this thing called Alpha and she's like oh I can do that like I can just I can turn it off if I'm not interested. And how every week it became that thing that she looked so forward to, the community that that came into her home that she didn't have during that whole time. And then fast forward now, she's very active in that parish, very engaged. The in-the-person in the community has been um, a life-giving force for her. Um, but the other story um, that was really interesting was the gentleman who this older gentleman who spoke about being Catholic in all the right ways, and he works in a government agency, and so he has his, his, uh, little devotional items a little crucifix and he has a little saint francis there in his qb but he can't talk about faith and so uh saint Josephat and the pastor asked them to the men's club to do a um an alpha so they did and it was like it's okay you know all right and so they did it It was fine it wasn't earth shattering for him because he talks about his faith so some of our listeners might be like oh that thing isn't for me whatever because um because i talk about my faith right well, what was fascinating was when he was asked then to do an in-person alpha and he said, okay, I'll do that with, you know, a larger group. They had the day away and he was asked, he had to pray for someone and he was really nervous about praying for someone. And that type of prayer, for those of you who don't know, is that you listen to the person's needs and then you like put voice to those prayers. So it isn't like a memorized prayer. You actually have to listen to what their needs are and then listen to the spirit to actually guide your prayer so he was terrified he said and he didn't know what to do and he'd been trained but you know he was really nervous so this woman shares this young woman shares her concerns or needs or whatever and then he literally felt the holy spirit work through him he said the words came and they were effective for her and for him and he felt the Spirit, and he, he said, I'm getting goosebumps just saying this right now because I've never felt something like that before. And it changed the way that he thought about his faith. There was this, not only now he got involved in all kinds of things now in the parish community in a really deeper level, and those are the things, too. It wasn't him getting something out of it from the experience of the small group, but what was he got something out of it from was ministering to someone else and Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of this because it's not brian jen and beth going into parishes doing this it's us lifting people up in the community and saying you can do this Mm -hmm. if you listen if you let the holy spirit work through you and so he was this like government employee guy sharing this and it was like i started crying because it's not some big life-changing story but it is it is a life changing story, I've, and that's some of the first fruits. That's the stuff that I get excited about. Do you have those kinds of things too, Brian? I'm sorry, I just like told
3: this whole story.
2: <laughs> yeah, you did great. You did great. Uh, no, and, and yeah, as you, as you were talking, like, and I think that's the, I think that piece is why the charisma is not just. You know, oh, this is the entry stuff. And once you pass the entry level stuff about faith, then you move on to the to the really fancy, you know, uh really fancy teachings of the Catholic Church, right? The kerygma is supposed to be encountered again and again because again the person okay. of Jesus Christ is encountered again and again in our life uh as we journey with Christ uh you know through our lives and in this world. And so, um, yeah, and 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 as Catholics, we're really bad on having that relationship in the first place, and then heaven forbid, naming that relationship out loud, and then even worse, you know. Praying, uh, praying for someone else in, in in response to hearing their needs and their concerns and their struggles with their faith life and their and their and their worldly life. And so, yeah. So, I I think I think some of the yeah some of the most beautiful stories that I've I've seen in this ministry have been you know long long term parishioners, lifelong Catholics who have said you know I've been to mass every Sunday since I can remember, but. I've never actually talked to Jesus before Mm -hmm. I went to Alpha or I've never actually talked to Jesus before, um, you know, uh, this retreat or whatever, whatever it is that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, just because people are showing up day in and day out, just because they may be involved, just because they may be a minister, you know, on Sundays as a lecturer or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that they have experienced that, that deep love and deep relationship of Christ that, that, that Christ wants for each of us. And so it's, it's, it's quite amazing to see that, happen in real time.
1: And I I I think that's the piece is that we have focused, started shifting our focus about what we want from people to what we want for people, right? We don't want so much in our culture is like, how many, what are your numbers? How many people showed up to that event? Whatever. So, but it's about quality, not quantity here. It's about how are we helping people encounter this relationship? And so accompaniment, that that ministry that you talked about, that relationship guide ministry, that's heavy lifting. To have those kind of conversations instead of just having everybody, let's just have breakfast together and let's like watch a video and and that's beautiful. But those kinds of intentional accompaniment takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes
2: a lot of time, and it it and it highlights the need for another culture shift that we talk a lot about of this culture of. of- inviting and forming leaders, right? Mm-hmm. We had that, that, that time to walk with people and help them feel comfortable in a leadership role and help them feel comfortable walking with others in this, in this journey. Right. And so that's why I think that's why Alpha is such a really good tool. It's, it's a, it's a good first step Oh, here's a video. You don't need to know any of the answers. You're just facilitating a conversation and you're letting the Holy spirit do, you know, most, if not all of the heavy lifting. And so, you know, how, what are the opportunities that we can get people people's feet in the water of leadership in, in our communities. And then how do we continue to support them and walk with them and, and help them to assume more and more responsibility and ownership so that they can do that heavy lifting, like, like walking with individuals in their, in their journey of faith. So, um, yeah.
1: Jen, what are, what are some of the uh, first fruits that you see in the parishes you've worked with? So you've worked with uh, Divine Mercy, Mm -hmm. the Lincoln Park parishes. You've also worked with, um, 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 Talcott, uh Talcott. I see Talcott. <laughs> I see
3: Talcott and uh, all the immaculate conceptions yes. <laughs> out there. <laughs> no, and, and and several in other vicariates besides Brian's. But, you know, this leadership conversations makes me think about some a couple of parishes that I've been working with at the very early stages to lift up an evangelization team and mm-hmm. almost to a parish, I hear either the lead a staff person or the pastor say we don't have leaders you know we don't have anybody we don't have disciples you know all those different variations that we hear and yet you know once this starts to get going and once they start to enter into the process and and to learn a little bit more about what you're inviting people into in that first leadership ask and in this idea of do you want to help us build something new that it might be you don't have people who want to sit on another committee, but there's people who are the natural accompaniers, but they're not going to be leading a Bible study or sitting on your pastoral council. These are completely different individuals in a lot of cases, and sometimes completely unnoticed by you know the normal leadership and the staff and the pastor, because they might just be a volunteer bringing you know, a dessert to the RCIA group or something. So What's fascinating then is as people start to learn what this is and what they're actually going to be doing, they go, oh this is actually something I want to do. Mm -hmm. This sounds Mm -hmm. like me. And, you know, I've got this one parish, sorry, Brian, different vicariate, but that started the ask and was hoping to get eight people. And she's got over 40 people who've volunteered thus far for this. And so now the conversation is, okay, how do we build this so that we don't lose any of those people, but that they can be connected with something. And the vast majority of these aren't people who are the usuals in fact uh several of them a friend was talking about what they were volunteering for and brought three other people along with them wow so it's a really interesting dynamic that starts to get cultivated and that parish sure enough had told me we don't have enough leaders to do this we'll never be able to do this
1: i, I think that's what we're seeing too is that so much we've done um, the reason we call them evangelization teams and not committees is because this is not a group of people that's going to sit around and talk about things. This mm-hmm. is going to be a group of people that actually activate things. Mm-hmm. They they we work with them to build a plan. They actually have a plan walking in the door, and we walk with them through the process of getting this done and helping to form them. Um, and I actually think some of these vicariate two parishes they've lifted up people that are pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, that. I I just they're you know because they've been at it the longest it's not that they're more special it's just they've been at this longer
3: and I think the the team starts to get really excited also because they're experiencing themselves that sense of belonging and community and the deeper prayer and faith sharing that's integrated Mm -hmm. into even just how their meetings operate and that starts to get them to understand what this could look like when they do take it to that finance committee that they're also part of, or to the catechists gathering that they're also part of, because no one person's usually just involved in one thing in a parish. And so it starts to connect those dots for them that they they see, wow, this can be something that feeds me while I'm also trying to help and serve exactly. and feed others.
1: Exactly. It's about helping them grow in their own mm-hmm. journey as well. So Brian, before we say goodbye to you, do you have any closing thoughts for Jen as she leaves us?
2: Oh, man, on the spot. Um, I know.
1: That's what radio is good for.
2: Oh, thank you. You're very kind. No, I mean, Jen, you obviously know how much we are all going to miss you. And uh, I, I hope you know the literal life-changing work that you have done in my vicariate and the other vicariates in the archdiocese. Um, but I I am just really grateful that the Holy Spirit continues to call you and that you continue to say yes. And so I I, I can't wait to see uh, the next fruits in your ministry moving forward. So thank you so much.
3: Well done, thank Brian. You. Well
2: done. Oh, thank
1: well, you. thank yeah. you so much, Brian, for taking the time with us today. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll finish our conversation with Jen.
0: Catholic Charities offers a wide variety of volunteer opportunities to those who want to share their time and help us serve people in need. Whether it's stocking the shelves of our food pantries, helping refugees learn the English language, tutoring school-aged children, becoming a mentor to young adults, Sorting clothes in our clothing rooms, serving hot meals to those who are facing homelessness, or delivering meals and making cards to lift the spirits of our homebound seniors, we are deeply grateful to all those who want to join in our mission of mercy. Volunteer opportunities are updated weekly for people of all ages at ccofchicagovolunteer.com or just call us at 312-655-7053. That's 312-655-7053. Thank you for helping us follow Jesus' call to serve our neighbors in need.
2: I feel special. (laughs) I feel great. I got good grades.
1: We've seen a huge surge in our kids now meeting or exceeding grade level.
0: Come check us out. You may have never thought we were an option before. Our school communities provide students with academic excellence and character education in a supportive and stable learning environment. Come see for yourself. Visit artschicago.org slash find a school.
1: Welcome back to On the Way. This is Beth White, your co-host with Jen Delvo. Um, so we are going to close out this last uh, segment, uh, short segment, um, just chatting with Jen a little bit. Um, I'm so grateful for Brian just talking about these first fruits. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring and have this conversation is I think that we constantly get focused on what we haven't done um and I think transitions are great moments to sit back and think about what we have done so when you when you look back on this work of evangelization mm-hmm. what are the things that you really are the most proud of what do you what do you think that you your legacy what you leave behind as it were wow um She's not been prepped with any <laughs> no, of the questions. I, haven't.
3: Uh, I You know, I do think a lot of it is the, the relationship building, and I think that work is from many different levels. You know, I think as we were just talking about in the previous segments with the Lincoln Park Old Town, that's probably one of the most extreme because a very, very close cluster of five that brought a lot of baggage into the process, but that earning the trust of the parish staff in particular, um, you know, when they go through renew my church and even just there's always a little bit of that element of, oh, you're from downtown. Um, so always, <laughs> yeah, pretty much always. And so that idea of not going in and and I think presuming that they're going to listen to me because, you know, I got the archdiocese and badge on, but that through earning their trust and opening them up to this and connecting them with each other and connecting across vicariate lines as needed, too, because I think that's something also that as much as there's parochialism, sometimes there is this idea of, well, you know, just this vicariate stays off by itself. And because of, especially in the early stages, we didn't have a huge cluster of parishes that we were trying to connect. And now as different parishes are using different tools or at different cadences, we're able to connect them And I think helping people see that they're not doing this by themselves, because I think that only got – magnified during the pandemic that so many parishes were very, very isolated. And, you know, we weren't at the start of the pandemic that far into the process. So a lot of the parishes that did try to keep things going, you know, were maybe more isolated, but we could connect them with these others and they could do virtual things or they could send people back and forth. And I think seeing the openness, um, because it was especially at the Lincoln Park, I remember one of the staff people being very, very concerned about, well, if we do send people over there, you know, will we lose them? Yeah, and to start seeing exactly. that breaking down, I feel like is that's who we're called to be at tr- as church. You know, we're the Catholic church. We're not the church of just this one little neighborhood. And so I think helping people trust one another and to really lean on one another without fear might be maybe one of the more ephemeral things that I'm most proud of. And I um, I use that example of that fundraiser
1: I was at because it was just recently and I was sort of blown away because I'm not down there all the time. That isn't... Um, you know Jen works with these has worked with these parishes pretty much you know since day 1 and um I was in there in those first meetings but I leave it to Jen to do her job right so I went to this this event and I love the fact that all the parishioners were talking to each other mm-hmm. that there was this we're in this together but distinctly and um I think that's where our culture is today that young adults and uh, Generation Z and, gen- and millennials, they don't care about boundaries. They right. don't care about what street you live on. They don't care about what parish you, quote unquote, belong to. What they care about is um, being a part of a community. And so I think they, in real time, figured that out. So mm-hmm. they, after the pandemic, some of the parishes did online, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, offered, they led the online effort while others did the in-person. And it didn't matter what where you celebrated Mass on the, on Sunday, but you could go to any of them, right? right? And yeah. that was what was kind of... And they were able to pool their resources. Mm-hmm. They were able to do so much more with limited
3: resources that right. way. Right, right. And the creativity. And I think one of the things that was most exciting is, you know, there was an issue and one of the leads really found themselves in in a very difficult situation. Uh, And the rest of all of the leads in that grouping had experienced that same problem. And the way they rallied together to support, especially because this was somebody fairly new, was so exciting to see that Mm -hmm. they really incorporated the next person into the fold without even half a thought. And that's ultimately, I think, a sign of the greatest success that it wasn't dependent on me doing these things, but that it just was the way they naturally felt that they should be moving. And that gives me hope that it's really taken root.
1: Well, and I think that's it. It was a new evangelization lead comes in and some trouble happens. And the other Evangelization leads from the surrounding communities and beyond, Mm -hmm. other vicariates as well. (laughs) Yeah. Told them, you belong to us and we have your back and we're going to support you. And I was like, wow, there was no competition. Yeah. And we've really, I mean, just to take a step back, when we started, there weren't evangelization leads. And that, I mean, there were some people that had that role, but it's very defined very differently than the way that we've Mm -hmm. lifted these folks up. And now we have all these leaders across the diocese who have been accompanied, trained by us, the evangelization teams that have been trained by us. We've had over 300 people go through our online training, not to mention all the people that were trained before the online training. So I'd say we have like 500 leaders in the Mm -hmm. diocese at this point that have gone through evangelization team training with so many more to come. Um,
3: It is just so exciting to see that network at play and really transcend the boundaries. So
1: I think that wraps our show. So, Jen, thank you so much for all these years of being my co-host, sitting here with me and uh, filling in when I haven't been able to be here. And uh, so um, thank you. Thank you. God bless and all the goodness that comes your way.